Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book 3, Fire, Chapter 10, The Day of Black Sun, Part 1, The Invasion. <laughs> and you know, whenever Avatar has a really long episode with a part with multiple parts, that's always a good sign. Yes, so this is also like a two-parter podcast of these two episodes, right? Like, uh, there's going to be a lot of content coming out. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this was, I mean... I, I, I have to admit, I saw the title to this earlier in the season as I was flipping through on Netflix, and I was like, oh, interesting. This big event we're, we're building towards happens this early in the season. Now, it's not that early. I mean, we are at the midway um, midway point of the season. We're kind of making the turn into the back half of the final season. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this is this episode in particular and it's 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 tricky because we've seen both parts one and two as we're recording this so like i'm i'm trying to not get ahead of myself too much um one of the things that's interesting is this grows so directly out of what we saw in the last episode nightmares and daydreams as much as that episode is not always the best it it really is part of a piece of Mm -hmm. kind of kind of leading up to this um uh and i and in this really it's interesting thinking about these two the 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 two episodes of the Day of Black Sun. Um, in one way, they're turning us towards home, but by the time we get to the end of part two, it's like, well, actually, maybe we're headed in a d- different direction than we thought. Now, one of the things that you and I talked about, I think on Tuesday we met um, to record something non Avatar related, and we had both seen this, um, and. I want to just address this up front because uh, I really liked these episodes, but there is always the problem. And I remember hearing um, Chuck Klosterman talk about this when we got to the end of, I think it was the end of game of Thrones. Like as we were getting, as we were approaching that final season, but it made me think about breaking bad, mad men, any, you know, so I'm putting, I'm putting um, (laughs) avatar up with some of these pantheon TV shows, but there comes this point when you get towards the end and you start to kind of make predictions about here's what I think is going to happen. The problem is before you see the episodes, anything is possible. It could be anything. So you start to imagine all these directions and no matter what ends up happening, psychologically, there's always that little bit of disappointment because you move from this vast potential to a limited specific because the, the specific can never be as vast as all possibilities, right? So, so what's interesting as we think about the invasion and the eclipse and really the rest of this episode is you have to give up the idea of anything can happen and embrace the idea that this is what the creators of this show, this is the story they've chosen to tell and embrace that. Um, because I, I, I look at some of the things we talked about at the end of last episode as I as we were ki- kind of pitching both ways to fix that, fix that episode, but also like, okay, what do we think is going to happen in this invasion? And, you know, sometimes some of those things that, that don't end up happening are like, Oh, I kind of wish that would have, but I think we need to let go of that because um, this is not our story to tell. This is our story to kind of take in. So that's my preface for this. Yeah. I remember feeling the same way when the seventh Harry Potter book came out, I, I had come to it late. Uh, and, but I had caught up in time for that last book release and I waited probably like a year 
and there was so much anticipation. I was like on forums, like a high, like as a high schooler, like on forums, listening to podcasts for the first time, like really excited. And then it came out, and like a lot of the fan theories, I felt were better than what was delivered. And like over time, I I like it a lot better when I saw the movies. I felt it; they did a good job. But uh, yeah, it was like rewriting my expectations mm-hmm. and realizing like, oh yeah, if I were to write this series, I probably would write it into so many plot holes anyway, that it's like, like uh, there's like, you need character armor. Like there's all these things that you have to have for it to be sold in the end. And like, so even though we really want like our, our big like prison break episode, like maybe mm-hmm. we're not going to get that right. And like, yep. maybe it won't pan out that way. And maybe I'm not going to get Macbeth, which is what, you know, <laughs> like, but, uh, and we're maybe tipping our hand that, that we don't get Macbeth here, but, um, but I think, I think there, there are definitely problems. And I'm also, you know, I, you, we need to remember this is a show pitched at much younger kids. So, some of the darkness we want to see around the edges. Now I will say all of those feelings are also connected to the genuine sense of sadness that I start to feel already, which is that this is almost over and like mm-hmm. this story's going to be done then. And there is going to be a point where I am going to say, my name is Sam Mulberry and I have watched avatar the last airbender. I will have made it to the end. And then it's like, well now it's no longer this thing that's in front of me. It's this thing that's happened. Yeah. Now it's weird to say this about something that is 12 years old or whatever, but, but that's, I mean, I think that's a very real thing to think about. Oh, truly with any, I mean, with any piece of literature or like groundbreaking movie, it's like by the end of it, it's always a little bit of a loss because you can never go back and experience it the first time again. Right. Right. Uh, at the same time though, I've already seen this whole series and clearly have forgotten a lot of what happened. So <laughs> Sam, you just got to wait like, you know, 10 years or so, and then That's rewatch right. it, and you'll surprise yourself. That's right. So with that sense of melancholy, let's hop <laughs> into this episode, which is really, really good and was mm. exciting to watch. There's lots of thrilling stuff. So um, so let's jump into this. The episode opens on the Rendezvous Island, and now it's morning. So it's clearly the day after Nightmares and Daydreams. We, so- we see Sokka, who is sitting silently studying maps, you know, getting ready for the invasion. Katara walks up and hands him a drink as, you know, without saying a word. I don't know if it is his morning coffee, but it definitely has that feel of like, he's been up for a while. They've all been up for a while. This is, this is the moment that in their minds, this whole show has been building up to, um, to this moment. They think this is the end of the show. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, from from their perspective, and then we see Ang pop up full of energy after a good night's sleep. So this is clearly a reference to nightmares and daydreams, which is um, actually I think it would be fascinating to watch the to binge it so you watch those two episodes right after each other, because he is sort of back to what we would think of as like normal Ang at this point. Yes. Um, it also maybe points to the fact that I wonder if from here to the end, if every episode is just going to feel like it 100% melts into the next, if we're not going to be as concerned about endings of episodes anymore, because I think they've earned that at this point, they don't need anybody who's, who's watching the show in season three has already been through so much that like, I think people are going to be okay with just to be continued as an ending rather than, well, we need to resolve this plot. And it needs to feel very like episodic as well as serialized. I think I'm wondering now if it's just going to feel serialized. 
Agreed. I mean, and you think like they're in the Fire Nation, they're going to stay in the Fire Nation. There's not that much territory to travel over. So it's not like book one and book two where they're traveling across the entire world. Like, could be that a couple episodes are sitting in one spot. Mm-hmm. So, so Ang pops up, says, I'm ready to take on the Fire Lord. And Toph asks, so what's your strategy for taking him down? Are you going to get your glow on, which a phrase I love, are you going to get your glow on and hit him with the little Avatar State action? And Ang responds, I can't. When Azula shot me with lightning, my seventh chakra was locked, cutting off my connection to the cosmic energy of the universe. <clears throat> and Toph responds, you know what I just heard? Blah, blah, spiritual mumbo jumbo, blah, blah, something about space. <laughs> no, I think this is actually a really important moment in this episode and in the show. Because it's two things are happening here. Aang is explaining and kind of reminding us, but also this is the first time we've heard this specific thing. He's explaining for people who are kind of nerds about the show of like, like, like what his limitations are, right? That he has this kind of power roadblock where he can't go into avatar state, which was from the beginning of season two was one of the potential plans of how to face Ozai. So we know that that's off the table, but we also get what Toph says and Toph is here kind of standing in as a viewer as well and saying, or there's maybe another way to watch this show, which is like, you don't have to worry about all that stuff. Like maybe you don't have to like, get into all of the minute details of the spiritual this and that you can it can just be there's a lot of blah blah kind of spiritual science fictiony stuff and you don't have to worry about that just enjoy the fight yeah. <laughs> like and, and they're they're kind of laying that laying out these different different approaches to the show yeah i love it as kind of a meta joke like kind of the writers making fun of themselves i also love it for how uh i had it was helpful for me to remember that that's not an option. And I think especially for kids or people not watching this, like as consistently, it was a really smart move to just kind of build in some exposition. Uh, and then finally, I like that it's like you have the earth bender and the Airbender, and they're very different culturally. And so it makes sense that perhaps an earth bender would be less likely to consider the spiritual versus like a an air nomad monk who like <laughs> spends his days outside of culture outside of the earth like it makes i i'm glad that they chose Toph to say that because it fits her personality wise um but also like i think perhaps fits her culture yeah and and i think it points to something that's going to happen a lot in this episode and <clears throat> the thing we need to remember is that this show is not in its origins, a show that was streamed. So they're saying, you know, this thing happened a year ago in, in real time, uh, not in showtime, but in in, in, in our time, mm-hmm. uh, in a different season, 10 episodes ago. So like, you might not remember this, especially if you're a child. And this episode's gonna have a lot of stuff where it's where characters are literally just recounting plot from season one to be like you maybe don't remember this person that's showing up here so let me let me just you know run back the story really quick right exactly so we see katara then she's kind of looking off into the distance over the water um and she asks if the fog if if they if Sokka thinks the fog will delay the invasion and suddenly we see five boats start appearing through the fog and Sokka announces that that is the invasion. So we see these five 
water tribe ships. Um, we see Hakoda and Bato sailing on their boat. And they appear to be wearing new water tribe uniforms. Did you clock this? Yes. Every There's a lot of new uniforms happening in this episode, and I love it. Yeah. So Esme and I, my daughter, we had a long conversation about where these came from. <laughs> do you have do you have thoughts on this? Like, are these things so so she made the case, and this very well could be true, that these are their these have they've always had these, and these are their like battle uniforms and they only wear these when they go to battle um but it's sort of strange because this is a show where people kind of have their this is what they wear um other than the fire nation fire nation there seems like there's a lot of clothes like zuko's constantly changing what he wears and things like that but feels like everybody else kind of has their set outfit um right so what are your thoughts here is this something new or well and that's yeah logistically i'm like where did you have to i mean so (laughs) The new Water Tribe uniforms, especially as they're entering battle, like, they're, it's like wolf carcasses. It's super cool looking. Yeah. But it's like, when did you have time to go, like, hunt animals? You know what I mean? Um, so but, I, I'm with Esme. I think maybe, like, this is stuff that they have had and, like, bring it out at a certain time. I don't know. Counterpoint. This episode's going to show that there's actually has been a lot of people working on a lot of things that would take longer to create than um than some new uniforms that's that's you know? really true so and maybe designs were sent out to somebody and they picked them up along the way because they have been traversing the world yeah i i would love to know so i feel like with any series or movie like i never think about costuming beyond just like oh it's beautiful or wow that's a really cool way to do that but like they know so much about what is supposed to be conveyed when a costume change happens. And like, I know that this isn't quite the same as drawings, but it's interesting to be like, why is this the episode that they chose literally every character to have a new costume? Mm -hmm. Like, why are, like, does it have to do with identity? Does it have to do with like a tone shift? I don't know. But um, I like wish I could just get in the heads of the artists, the illustrators. Because it was, I mean, because it's animated, there is no reason they have to do it. So it seems like it's a meaningful shift. The other thing I noticed on these is that um, the, the like, generic, like, red shirt water tribe people on their chest, it's like they just have a white circle, like the moon, which mm-hmm. would make sense. Mm-hmm. Hakoda has a white circle, but it has two smaller like partial circles. And then Bato has like a totally different design. Um, But so it seems like there's generic ones and then there is specific ones. Yes. um, I feel like I had read something about Hakoda's uh, costume. That symbol is like a symbol that's been used before. Uh, So I think they talk about it on Avatar Wiki, but yeah, it's called the Lunar Crest. Okay. Um, Not used before in the Avatar world, but like, is a symbol in the real world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, it's like a a full moon. And then on either side are like partial moons facing in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. And according to Avatar Wiki, they said Hakoda's armor uh, resembles the lunar crest. And it's a neo-pagan symbol for the triple goddess, which correlates the three stages of a woman's life to the three phases of the moon. Hmm. And uh, beyond that, I'm not quite sure what any of that means. Okay. But I like that they incorporated some like, imagery that i mean like we're never gonna know probably what what some of those symbols mean but i like that it's there it's like it's like one of those little mysteries like a present that i just want to like mm-hmm. unwrap and, and get to does it say anything about Bottos? because he also has like a different 
Um, his is like it's like the it's like an arc. Like it'll be like the the top of the moon and like an arc and then like a line going through it. There was it was either incorporated into Hakoda's outfit or Bato. So I don't know if Hakoda had something else on him, but it's supposed to look like the necklace that was given to Grand Grand. Okay. The, or the uh, I think or yeah, right. In, Grand Grand's necklace. Um, the like betrothal okay. thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think they took that. In. I don't know if that's what's on Bato. I'd have to like go back and check or maybe mm-hmm. listeners know and they can fill us in on some of the imagery. But yeah, so I, I really loved that stuff. And it all, like you say, it all seems very, uh, very intentional, right? So they're, they're, they're the first people that we see. So Sokka and Katara rush to their father um, Sokka asks if he's been able to um, locate everyone that they told them to find. Clearly, when they when they broke up, um, Hakoda and Bato were sent on a mission to go collect allies, which makes me feel great. If you go back to some of the first episodes of this podcast, I was saying, huh, it feels like they're collecting allies, like they're meeting people, and that some of these folks are going to come back when we have sort of big culminating battles. It makes me so happy and excited because literally since like episode four or five of book one, you were saying these things and Mike and I would listen back to the episodes and he'd be like, Sam's going to lose his mind. Like come season three, Sam's going to be so excited and it's finally happening. We also get, I mean, what, 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 what happens from here is we get kind of a version. I mean, it's, it's weird because I guess an invasion is kind of like a heist. This is actually kind of like a heist. This, yeah. this, um, and so this is like getting the getting the band together. You know, like it's a lot of people, and and it, it's funny to think because they're coming off of the boats, but they're coming off of the boats very slowly, so we can get introductions for each of these each of these people that we've that we've met before. This very much feels like like the third installment of a like movie franchise. And we're bringing, we're bringing all these people back and they each get their own little entry with either jokes or comments to kind of remind us who they are. Or like a freeze frame and their name comes across the screen, like something, you know, right. Right. So yeah, it's, it's played off really well. So Hakoda says that he was able to find them, but he's a little worried. He says, some of these men aren't exactly the warrior type. And we see the two swamp benders, uh, though and do, uh, walk off the boat. Hakoda says, uh, is it just me or are those fellows a little loose in the leaf hat? And Bato walks up behind him and says, I just wish they'd wear pants. And then we, then we see him, uh, a cut to Hugh, who's like the most powerful of the, um, of the, the swamp benders. And he's wearing only like a leafy loincloth. And he says, pants are an illusion. And so is death. And then I noticed that in the background, we see at least five, and we're going to find out it's even more swamp benders. I didn't realize when we met those three, that there's actually a, like a larger culture of people who are swamp benders. Yeah. uh, And there's also a woman swamp bender too, which I thought was cool. We don't really see a lot of swamp water or we don't see a lot of women benders really. Mm -hmm. And so that was exciting. Yeah. So Uh, we, and then did you notice um, the the pants are an illusion is like a he has said that before. Did you did you notice that, Sam? No. Does he say that in the he says that in the, in swamp? the, the swamp episode? Um, so this Hugh is the guy who was up like at the top in the center of the jungle, uh, like controlling all the vines. 
And he's supposed to be kind of like guru-esque, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge and wisdom. And he says, time, in is, time is an illusion and so is death. And it was like supposed to be one of the most like poignant things that he said in that episode. And then for him to just pull that out later, <laughs> be like, pants are an illusion, so is death. It's like, is this guy like actually all there i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean he definitely has like a stoner stoner wisdom quality to him uh but but i, I like it so we get introduced to the swamp vendors um and then the next person we see walking off the boat is haru who was one of my favorite characters and somebody that i was hoping was going to come back um so we see Haru, but now he has long hair and a long droopy mustache and soul patch. Uh, Katara gives him a big hug. And then Aang brings Toph to Haru. And here's an example of that exposition. <laughs> he says, Toph, this is Haru. When we met him, his town was controlled by the Fire Nation. So he had to hide his earthbending. And Haru says, Katara inspired me and my father to take back our village. And then Haru's father, Tyro, steps in and says, you helped us find our courage, Katara. Now we're here to help you. So it's sort of like, let's just summarize imprisoned really quick because we need to remind people because Haru actually looks very different. Yes. So uh, he pulls it off. Yeah. How do you feel about, about, about the Haru look? I like that some of the characters have changed because it's been a while. And uh, it also shows, like, Haru is out of prison. Like, he's able to grow and, like, kind of, like, live the life he wants to live. And that's exciting. And maybe that means having a droopy mustache and a soul patch. And, like, if that's the case, good on him. I like the way that you um, answered that question by saying, you know, just let Haru be Haru. You didn't tell me what you thought of the look, which is what I asked. But I think embedded in that... I. Um, I will say this is not, I'm not a huge like facial hair person. No, uh, it's, it is interesting though, because I look at her at Tyro, Haru's, Haru's father. And it's like, you can see the beginning. Tyro has this like long beard, but like a, also like a droopy mustache as part of the beard. And it's like, oh, you can see him on his way to growing his like real adult facial hair. So this, it does have a great look of like a teenager who is like now able to grow facial hair, like testing testing the waters yeah no i will say i think he pulls it off i think he has the cheekbones for that for that whole ensemble all right all right um so from here we hear a boom and we uh oops i'm sorry from here we hear the beating of drums and uh we see toff turn in disbelief and toff is picked up by somebody much larger than her and we realize that it's the hippo (laughs) uh and toff says are you guys here for a rematch and the boulder who's standing behind the hippo says, Negatory, the boulder and the hippo no longer fight for others' entertainment. Now we fight for our kingdom. And Toph says, Sweet. <laughs> so we get we get Haru back, we get the swamp enders, we get the hippo and the boulder. So um we're you know, we're starting to to collect folks. And it's this is so much fun at this point because you're like, all right, who else are they going to give us for the invasion because we know they don't know this but we know that this is episode 10 and that there's going to be another big there has to be another big climactic moment so it's like we're not going to get everyone so who are we getting and who are they saving um and so that's that's really fun now i will say so far when i think about like the swamp benders like i'm not super excited to see them they're not my favorite characters um 
I was excited for Haru and Tyro because because I she really liked that story and I and I liked Katara in that. So that was really that I was excited to see them. Um, Hippo and the Boulder. I'm excited because I love the Boulder. Like I love I love him as a um, and he actually is going to play another important role in this episode um, in terms of being an audience surrogate who sort of speaks something for the audience. Um, But like they don't in terms of thinking about an invasion force to like pretty powerful earthbender wrestlers. It's like, okay, that's great. We might need more, Um, but we get one more. Uh, surprise coming off of the boat. So we hear a boom and we see an explosion on one of the ships. And I knew immediately who was going to be coming out of the ship. And I was so excited because these are also people that are among my favorites. So everyone turns and we see Teo and his father climb out of the smoking ship. Um, And Sokka asks, was that a new invention? And Teo's father says, yes, but unfortunately... The incendiary capabilities uh, proved to, or excuse me, the incendiary capabilities of peanut sauce uh, proved to be a failure. And we see, uh, from there, we see the Duke riding in on Pipsqueak's shoulders behind them. And Sokka said, You're making peanuts, or you're making peanut sauce bombs? And, the, and Pipsqueak says, They're destructive. And the Duke says, And delicious. And they kind of lick their faces to take in the peanut sauce. So we get. The Duke, Pipsqueak, Teo, and Teo's father. Now, I'm still upset that Teo's father doesn't have a name. Yes, although we do hear them refer to him as the Mechanist. He's the Mechanist. So but that's... He, he's in multiple episodes of this show with, uh, with like, plays a major role in episodes he's not in. And they didn't give him, and Tyro has a name. Yeah, he but, has a lot of lines yeah. to be nameless. Yeah, it is, um, it's sort of strange. I, yeah, I wonder what the rationale was behind that but um according to avatar wiki so i am not a scientist uh (laughs) absolutely not but according to avatar wiki peanuts are an actual ingredient in dynamite giving merit to the mechanist's attempt to make peanut sauce bombs did you know that sam no it's very weird it is look I looked it up, and there was a lot more science that went went into it. So, like, I appreciated the one-sentence summary that Avatar Wiki gave me. I will not be regurgitating everything else that I read. But apparently, Peanuts, like, it's like, oh, okay, he's on the right track. Like, he could get somewhere. And clearly, there was an explosion. So, like, it's it's not that nothing happened. It's just what they wanted didn't happen. Right. Um, Another important moment happens right here because Sokka goes up to Teo's dad and asks, were you uh, able to complete work on the plans I sent you? Mm. Um, and they don't explain what that is, but Teo's dad says, yes, I was. And I think the Fire Nation will be quite surprised. And that's all that they say about it. Like, I, I love that Sokka sent him plans, but it's like, where did he have the time to do this? Does the boy sleep? Like, I feel like, I mean, I know there's a ton of downtime, right? Like, and yeah. Aang is out training. And so, like, and we see, we've seen him working on, like, Appa's armor and doing these little side jobs here and there. But for him to be like, oh, yeah, man, I just, like, drew up some plan for something and, like, got hockey to fly it over to uh, the mechanist. Like, I don't even know. Do you think it was hockey? Do you think I want to believe like, that. I want to believe yes. that. Yeah. I think hockey's doing a lot of work behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. He's part of the crew who really just doesn't get mentioned. <laughs> I like I like 
I love the thought that he is he actually is still part of this story, but he's too busy for us to see him. <laughs> Anytime we see like a bird flying in the horizon, it'll be like that's hockey. That's right. <laughs> um so uh, Teo shows Aang the new glider that he and his father made for him. And Aang is amazed. So now we have Aang as an aerialist again. He's able to fly. Uh, and Teo's father shows him that he he's added a special feature, uh, a snack compartment. So he sort of twists the handle and there's some snacks that fall out into his mouth, um, which will come back in this episode, but not in a meaningful way. But I'm curious to see, is there ever... A, a, a moment where like that becomes the thing which the like tide of history turns on <laughs> the snack department or yes. yeah snack compartment yes <laughs> but it's also it's also a funny joke because that is the kind of thing that like um teo's dad would do right he Absolutely. he he has a little like off kilter sense of um sense of humor and sense of of invention so he's gonna make flying machines and tanks and things like that but he's also going to make a snack compartment on his glider uh so from here we cut to the fire nation prison uh and we see iroh's guard is there filing his fingernails and he says i bet you're tired of being in a cell old man well too bad you're never stepping outside of these walls again like who is this guy he's such a jerk <laughs> yeah need to be, like the, like iroh's quiet and old and clearly depressed and to be like hey by the way you're not ever getting out like what is this um okay counterpoint maybe who who has imprisoned iroh the fire lord okay what what maybe the fire lord is particularly telling the people who are guarding his most important prisoner. Like, mm -hmm. I want you to like really tear this guy down. Maybe yeah. that, maybe that, cause he's not like he's doing it as he's doing his nails. So it's like, well, I'm just delivering the lines that I was told. Maybe this guy is like, Oh, I'm just doing my job. I was told I need to insult him. I need to, I mean, this That's actually true. could be part of that. That's true. Or like, I mean, we know that the fire nation pumps out a lot of propaganda and like, who knows what is being said about what Iroh has or hasn't done. Like, right. I mean, but, but it honestly could be an attempt because we know Iroh is very powerful. I know, I assume Ozai knows that Iroh is very powerful and maybe this is a subtle attempt to continue to break his will. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. we're going to see the power of Iroh's will. So maybe this is, this is a way to try to counteract that. So as he's saying this, a young woman comes in with a tray for breakfast. The guard says to her, be careful, Ming. Don't get too close. His stench will knock you right out. Um, and then she sends him some side eye as, as he walks out. Uh, and Ming says to Iroh, I snuck in some white jade tea. I know you like rare teas. And Iroh thanks her. He says, ever since I was put in here, you have been very kind to me. Sam, did you place her voice? I've been I did. so excited I since did. Like, episode one. I was like, I just want to. I'm so excited for when Sam's like, who's who is this voice? And then you look it up, and you're like, what? Yes. <laughs> so, so because her voice stands out. Yes. Um, it's it's it stands out in a couple ways. It's it stands. I mean, it is clearly somebody who's not a typical voice actor. It's not a bad performance, but it's just there's mm. something like. Huh. That and I feel like this show does that a lot. I, the number of times I look up a voice and realize, oh, there was a reason why I was drawn to that. Occasionally, it's like just 
person I've never heard of, but very often it's somebody. So do you want to do the, the reveal here? Who is this voice? It's Serena Williams. Yeah. Perhaps the greatest tennis player of all time is, uh, is voicing a, a, a bit character in avatar. It makes me so happy. Do you want some background to it, Sam? Yeah. Cause all that I saw is she was a big fan of the show. Yes. So occasionally on her Twitter feed, She'll just be like, hey, spoiler alerts, people who haven't watched Avatar, don't read my tweet. And then she'll just like ask fans of the show, like different fan theories uh, or so she like nerds out on Twitter over Avatar, like even well after it's finished, which I think is super cute. And um, I guess she just was such a fan of the show that she actually reached out to the creators and was like, hey, can you write me a role? Like, I would love to be even just a small part. So I think Ming, like, wasn't going to be a character, but they, like, wrote her in. Um, And she had done some voice work before, which I was, like, surprised to see. I had thought maybe this was, like, the first or maybe the only. Like, it's Serena Williams. The woman has a lot to do. (laughs) Like, she's a busy lady. Um... But apparently she was in this uh, an episode of The Simpsons. Um, As herself, would, I'm sure. Oh, could be. Yeah. Although it's distinguished on IMDb as an actress. I don't know. Because sometimes they'll say self, right? Or if it's like. Oh, maybe. Yeah. It, that, that very well could be. Maybe she wanted to be on it, but, but, wanted, but wanted to actually be a character. Yeah. She was also in um, something called Camp Laszlo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lunatics unleashed and then avatar in 2007 um and then she comes back for the second like the um second series in the avatar world legend of korra and she's in an episode of legend of korra apparently too um so she just couldn't get enough of the avatar world uh she was also in pixels uh which oh, came out sure. in 2015 i never saw that but um yeah what's interesting that. about this is so you were born in 1991 right so you, when Avatar came out initially, you were in kind of your mid-teens. Uh, yeah. So, so you're kind of in the sweet spot for this. Yeah. Do you know when Serena Williams was born? Oh, I have no idea. She was born in 1981. Okay. So she's a, she's a solid decade older than you, which means she was encountering this show in her, like, mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is really interesting that like or either either she was well yeah cuz it had to have been when the show was on because she's on the show so it couldn't have been that her fandom came later so while she was out there winning grand slam titles dominating tennis she was also into avatar which is fascinating. Yeah, especially when it's I I'm just amazed because it's like this is a show that at that time wasn't being streamed it was coming off onto Nickelodeon mm-hmm. like how did she hear of it? Like, I'm sure it had a ton of buzz. I mean, like they have big name people in it. I mean, like yeah. Mark Hamill's in it, but, um, but she's like a full on adult. Like, like right. it's not, it's not like she was even like 17 at the time. Like, right. yeah. Yeah. I don't, I couldn't find any, I was hoping she did like, um, I mean, man, it's Serena Williams. So like, if she's going to do uh, a Reddit, ask me anything, like it's probably going to be about, <laughs> her career as an athlete and not about her time on avatar but like i tried to dig and find things but all i could find were her previous tweets um and just some like entertainment weekly style uh 
articles on it but yeah i hope she like appears in a podcast at some point and talks about her voice acting i think that could be really fun man i wonder if there's any good avatar podcasts she could be on Oh, or even bad okay. Avatar podcast she could be on. <laughs> Serena Williams, if you're out there, in all honesty, open invitation. Just email us, channel3900 at gmail.com. We would love to have you on. We won't even ask you about tennis. We, will, we won't even mention tennis. We just want to talk Avatar. I think I would cry. Also, uh, we can't pay you anything for your appearance. Oh, no, no. <laughs> but you can we- promote it to our, you can promote anything you want to our listeners. Yeah, there, no restraints. Like you, yeah. you do you. You can do whatever you want, Serena Williams. If you come on our show, <laughs> you know what would be great if uh, I don't know. I, I assume she's not on cameo, but it would be great to get a Serena Williams cameo and just be like, "Tell us about your time on Avatar oh <laughs> for ninety <my> seconds." <laughs> Legit, I'm gonna look that up after this. After we're done recording, Sam, that's amazing. Am, she is a multi, 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 multi seven figure no eight figure nine figure millionaire like she is not on cameo (laughs) but you never know sometimes there's some like talent that's on that and it's like whoa okay (laughs) i think we would have to pay a lot yeah yeah i'm guessing i'm guessing she's not real uh accessible on cameo (laughs) well who knew we were gonna go we were gonna go here so back to the show uh, back at the rond- at Rendezvous Island, the invasion force is sitting cross-legged in the grass, awaiting their briefing on the invasion. Uh, so Sokka looks at them, and his stomach is sort of full of nerves. And Dakota says, don't worry, you'll do great. So Sokka walks up to start the briefing and immediately trips in front of everyone. And he kind of fumbles his way through the speech. He, like, drops all of his maps, and he's trying to put them up. Um, he hangs up. The first thing he hangs up looks more like a tapestry than a map. And then he's, he's pointing to it like it's a map. And then it's, it turns out it's like a flip chart though. And he's like flipping through different maps. Um, and he's rushing through this speech about the details of the invasion. And then he can tell it's not going well. And he says, I'm sorry, let me start at the beginning. And all of a sudden he like, kind of like bows his head for a second and he starts to get really serious. Um, and then he starts to, start literally at the beginning and he says Katara and I discovered Aang frozen in an iceberg. Now I didn't like Aang at first but I grew to love him over time. Then we went to the Southern Air Temple where Aang used to live. Then we met Suki who's a Kyoshi warrior and he keeps just rapidly like because we're joking about how like this show needs to recap all the stuff that happens so this is actually a great joke of like Sokka's like okay well how do I do this well let me recap everything that happened um so he keeps sort of talking rapidly and katara is like says to her father wow when he says the beginning he means the beginning and then we hear Sokka continue he says then katara got haru arrested and now he's grown a mustache which, which is if you look in the front row he's like trying and it's, so it's just this like all he's like keeps going in the background of this and it's really this is a truly truly funny scene mm. um and at this point uh hakoda steps in to kind of save Sokka. And he gives this rousing speech about um, about the invasion. And now this speech is actually really important plot-wise because we've never seen the actual invasion plans. Mm-hmm. So this is, I mean, there's a lot of like D-Day illusions here. So this is, this is the equivalent of like listening to Eisenhower um, kind of lay out Operation Overlord. Like here's the things. So everything he describes He's laying out, here's what the rest of this episode is going to look like. Because once the invasion starts, this becomes 
basically just big a big action set piece. Yeah, there's very little dialogue for kind of the rest of the episode. And I also love that it's like they could have just had them charge, right? Like they could have just like gone and, and tried to attack. But I love that it's like a very well thought out strategic military plan. Like, I mean, it makes sense. It should be. But um, it's a kid's show. Like they could have just done something easy. Mm-hmm. And we know that it is Sokka's plan. Because if you remember early in this season, Katara is very defensive to her father with her father about like this invasion plan is Sokka's invasion plan. So, so, so Hakoda gets up and gives this speech, but, but he is really delivering here is this thing that his son, um, that his son put together. So here's the speech that, that, uh, that Hakoda gives. He says, today is the day of black sun. And I want to thank you for all of your self-sacrifice and courage. There are two steps to the invasion, a naval stage, and then a land stage. To gain sea access to the Fire Nation, we have to get past our first major obstacle here. Next, we hit the land and we hit it hard. We must fight past their battlements and secure the Plaza Tower. Once we do that, it's up to the Royal Palace. And at this point, the eclipse will begin. So there, so he's kind of laying out, There's a, there, like I said, there's a naval battle, naval landing. They need to go through the, um, the, the gates of Azulon. And then there's the landing. And then once they hit the land, then there's the battle on the land and they have to take this tower and then they can approach the palace. Now, um, I don't know if you've studied the D-Day invasion much, but this sounds so much like it. Um, if you, if you ever study in any depth D-Day, it sounds impossible. All of the things that they have to do to make that landing work and it worked and it was amazing. And this feels the same way. Like when, Hakoda's talking through this because let's remember they have five ships <laughs> and it's a good size invasion force, but this is the capital of the fire nation. So, you know, there's going to be a big army there and we know there's going to be a big army because we know that they're preparing for this. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw this in the last, uh, the last episode. So it just feels like it feels impossible that this, uh, that this plan will work. So, um, importantly, Hakoda ends by saying, you know, when they get to the Royal Palace, then the eclipse will begin. And here's where the boulder plays his most major role in this episode. He chimes in and he says, the boulder is confused. Isn't the point to invade during the eclipse when the firebenders are powerless? Thanks, the boulder. That's actually, like, I think that's helpful because, again, we know, we've been watching this show closely and we've been able to like rewatch it and, and, and do these other things. But if you're watching this, if you're a kid just watching this on TV over the course of three years, you might not remember all of the pieces of this because some of this stuff goes back to the library episode, mm. you know, in the uh, 20 episodes ago. So the boulder makes a good point. Um, yeah, and I love that they choose the boulder too because it's like, it, mm. He seems oh, okay. He seems like a himbo. Do you know the word himbo, Sam? I've never heard it, but I know exactly what it means. <laughs> right? It's like a beefy, strong guy, but also kind. Like mm-hmm. I think that that's an important element. Like they need to be, but then also like not much going on, right? Like if they pick the perfect person to be like the boulder is confused. I, yes. I loved it. So, uh, so Hakoda says the eclipse lasts only eight minutes. Not enough time for the whole invasion. And the royal palace is heavily guarded by firebenders. So that's where we need the eclipse advantage the most. 
when this is finished, the Avatar will have defeated the Fire Lord, and we will have control of the Fire Nation capital, and this war will be over. So at this, the crowd cheers, and we see Sokka looking on depressed, right? This is, mm-hmm. as we'll see, this, is, this was his big moment, right? I mean, in, in, to a certain degree for the last 20, 30 episodes, Sokka's life has been pointing to this. Mm. And he kind of missed the moment, yeah. you know. Now, I to go back to Sokka's speech. Um, you and I both have uh, jobs that involve a great deal of public speaking, um, lecturing, getting up in front of people for different events and things like this. Um, how much did you resonate with Sokka's experience? It is so relatable. I feel like it, when I'm done teaching a class. At the end, all I do is think back over literally every sentence I did and like, oh, I could have said that way better. In the mo-, you know, mm-hmm. always thinking about everything that I shouldn't have said or should have said, uh, how people are responding. I'm always looking out and being like, oh, man, th- there's 100% always the tendency to apologize, which he did in his speech. To be like, oh, this isn't going well. Yeah, man. How about you? I thought they nailed it. Yeah. Somehow they got us. I think because they don't cut to the audience, you stay focused on Sokka's. Oddly, you stay focused on Sokka's point of view because they don't show his point of view. You're just looking at him. And we've all had that panicked moment. Um, I've had the moment where I'm up in front of people and I realize I don't actually understand what i'm gonna be like i i I sort of just assumed i was gonna get up and this was gonna work and it's like i don't actually understand what i'm talking about as much as i thought i did and now i'm scrambling and i'm scrambling in front of people i've also had a moment giving a 70 minute lecture where about 35 minutes in i realized i was boring myself (laughs) and i'm like this can't be good and there's 35 minutes left there's there's stuff i've got to cover but like I just no. was so worried about what I had to say that I wasn't paying attention to how how I was going to say yeah. it. And you you get into your head, but like clearly this is his plan. He developed it. And yet even if it's his brainchild, like that doesn't matter when you're standing up in front of everyone mm-hmm. who's ever been important to you and everyone that's like basically older than you, more experienced than you. Um but at the same time, I think about like this episode is really good at showing character's age like we see Haru with his facial hair Aang looks a lot older um and I think back to like episode one with Sokka and I think he's come probably the farthest of anyone like Mm -hmm. in episode one he's sitting in a boat with Katara he's like making fun of her bending he like doesn't care um doesn't want to be there and then to like come all the way to an invasion plan that he developed that's like akin to D-Day that he has this special invention that he, he drew the blueprints for and sent to uh, the mechanist. Like this guy has done a lot, but the one thing that he thinks says whether he succeeds or fails is public speaking. (laughs) And that's so real. That's so real. Right. Because it is the public version of i mean it is the the public telling of the work that he's done i mean in a different way this is related to the scene of katara being defensive about it being sokka's plan because sokka doesn't express it in this way but it sure feels like he did all this work and hakoda kind of swoops in and gives the big speech so it's like 
Hakoda's the leader here, even though Sokka did all the work. Now, Sokka doesn't frame it that way, but I think there's those are related things. There's this sense that, like, I can do all of this stuff, but when it comes to the part that anybody's going to notice or remember, that's the part where I fell short. Mm-hmm. It's really sad, actually. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad for him this whole episode. So uh, from here, we cut to a montage of people getting ready for battle. So we see Katara bending water into various pouches on her belt. So she's going to have water with her. Um, we see Toph putting on wrist guards. I don't know why that's like a the Toph thing, but I guess what else is she going to do? Um <laughs> Uh, we see Hakoda putting on his his new, his wolf helmet. This is the first time when we see the like water tribe wolf helmets, which are pretty cool. Mm. Um, we see Appa, who is decked out in the armor that armor that Sokka has made for him. Um, talk to me about armored Appa. It's like solid gold, <laughs> and then like elements of it are. It looks like Aang's tattoos, or and I guess the the arrow that's on Appa is like mm-hmm. featured on his head, his helmet. I was gonna say head armor. I guess it's a helmet. I don't know. Do you call it a helmet when it's? On it's a person? helmet. Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and then there's like these deep red, like velvety sections. It looks super dope. Like of anyone's, I think Appa's outfits like kind of the best yeah and what's what is what i love about it is that in nightmares and daydreams we see appa in armor Mm. because it is um appa's in like the samurai armor oh yeah and it's like this is so much cooler than the samurai armor and it's in and they have been talking about the armor like they keep they had continued to put like little lines about it over the Mm -hmm. last couple episodes and it's like is this gonna happen is it not also we know that Sokka is not the most artistically inclined individual so it's like what are you gonna make that's what I loved about it though because when you see him even in the last episode working on it you're like this is a silly joke and it's like oh actually it's not he's actually quite good at this and you know, we, we, we're constantly looking for, like, what is Sokka's thing? And it's like, he seems to have more things than anyone now. I mean, he's a, on his way to being a master swordsman. He yeah. does these battle plans. He creates machines. He actually builds this armor. He's a detective. He's a scientist. Yeah. It's like, and also, he has so much downtime with Aang and Katara and Toph training and doing all these bender things and it's like Mm -hmm. for a while it was like oh yeah i guess he's gonna go buy groceries or go on a shopping spree or take care of the animals but he does so much more than that in the background he is kind of like the hockey of the crew yeah yeah like like it would be interesting to watch uh um (laughs) if they did an episode it's too late for this now but like a look back episode of what Sokka was doing in the background of all the episodes where he's not a central character and realize like oh here's where he did this and where he did this and where he did this. So he's, this is like a very Sokka centric episode, which I didn't realize till we were talking right now, because obviously the, the arc of the, the invasion is going to be centered on Sokka sort of finding himself and find, and, and finding his identity. This is, this is part of that identity, that identity quest. So um, seeing that armor on Appa made me feel pretty great. Um, and then we see uh, Aang he's, and he's now wearing his air nomad clothes but these are new clothes as well yeah so the top of it is air like pretty much just exactly the same as before the air nomad clothes but then the bottom his pants are like 
the Fire Nation style. Um, they're like the big baggy and then there's like kind of tall socks and it's all a deep red color uh, that kind of goes with with um, Appa's armor. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was cool. Like they could have done, he could have been wearing earth or water like because that's his allies right now mm-hmm. and yet he is wearing partially fire nation clothes i just think that that was a really cool choice well and what i like about it is that we know we've seen depictions of avatars past right mm-hmm. kiyoshi has a particular look uh roku has a particular look like you can start to imagine <clears throat> what the statue of ang 500 years from now is going to look like, right? Like mm-hmm. that's starting to round into form um, mm-hmm. a little bit more. So another thing we see him doing here is he's shaving his head to reveal his tattoos. He looks more grown up now. I mean, you had talked earlier about like how people's bodies have changed. Um, mm-hmm. He looks, he looks more adult, more grown up. Um, and so as he's, and as he's standing there, a sheep walks up to him. One of those koala sheep from the last episode, um, and Ang is standing there with this, sh- with his staff in his water nation and his new, new clothes in, um, the sheep is there. And I just thought to myself, this is, it's like an oddly like Christ as the good shepherd kind of image, um, mm. which is a, a, a fitting view of the, of especially the kind of avatar that Ang seems to fit or, or seems like he will grow into in a kind of way. Yeah, yes, for sure. Uh, and, and like the fact that this whole invasion is essentially for him to be a sacrificial lamb, mm-hmm. like he is, he's bringing together all these different fe- people from around the world, uh, regardless of nation or identity. And then to be like, but in the end, what needs to happen is for me to, to go off and fight on my own and face death. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, they are, they are people who are, you know, some of them marginalized people who've been Mm. imprisoned, people who had been forced into the service of the, of the empire, like a tax collector. I mean, you can think of Teo's father like that. It's like, it's like, oh yeah. yeah, You know, like, like there really is this, you know, Sokka describes them in the previously on, you know, as a ragtag group. And it's like, that's that's kind of like the uh, the Ang apostles we have at this point. Like it's this interesting collection of, of people who are drawn to him for various reasons. Yeah. You know? I really like that. I hadn't so, thought of it that way. So from here, we then uh, cut to Zuko uh, in his quarters in the fire nation. We see him take off his crown. We see him take off his armor, which um, looks like, football shoulder pads i didn't realize he was wearing something like that but then he took it off i'm like oh yeah i guess he is armored when he's when he's uh in the in the fire capital like that and we see him begin to write and we don't know what he's writing but he's clearly sitting down to write something important Mm. so then back at the harbor we see people boarding the ships um sokka is standing alone on a cliff uh pensively looking at his wolf helmet um, and presumably this is the first time, even if this is something that has existed for a long time and they've always just had these for going to war, I'm guessing Sokka has never worn this stuff before. Mm. Um, uh, and he's now wearing the new Water Tribe uniform as well. Um, and Aang flies up to him and says, we've been looking for you everywhere. The boats are ready to leave. And Sokka says, I messed up, Aang. The invasion plan was my moment of truth and I completely flopped it. I just completely fell apart. 
And Aang sa- says, uh, Sokka, that speech wasn't your moment of truth. That was just public speaking, and nobody's good at that. Um, which is a nice thing for kids to hear, because that's kind of true. <laughs> um, and Sokka says, well, my dad is. He explained the plan perfectly and inspired everyone like a real leader should. So, I mean, that's even showing us that Sokka has one particular view of leadership, you know, and it is the person who makes the big speech and everybody, everybody cheers. It's actually a very like Michael Scotty view of leadership. Like right, to be a leader is the person who everyone is drawn to, everyone listens to, and everyone's roused by, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe that's not the kind of leader Sokka is going to be. Yeah. Um, and Ang says, look, your moment of truth isn't going to be in front of some map. It's going to be on the battlefield. And Sokka says, you seem so confident about everything. How did you, how do you know we're going to win? And Ang says, because I've already failed the world once at bossing say, and I won't let myself fail again. I, I like this. this. Go ahead. Oh, I just, um, a couple thoughts in it. Like first, I mean, when we're talking about Sokka's insecurities, he has the world's most important person standing in front of him and saying like, Hey, you are enough. And in fact, this, like we would, we wouldn't be here without you. And still like, he's still kind of internalizing the embarrassment, the shame, the guilt over not stepping into this identity that he, he thinks that he has failed. Right. So um, I love that part of it to be like, Oh yeah. Aang is actually really important. And, uh, everyone in the invasion probably looks on at their relationship with jealousy. Like cool. Like Sokka gets to be with the avatar. Um, and then ending it with Aang's insecurity with bossing say, whoo, that's rough. Well, but he's all, it's also Aang saying, you know what? I've failed too. Mm. We're here because I failed. We're, you know, so it's like failure isn't the end. Like, like you're not given just one chance. Yeah. you know, to, 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 to do, to do the things you need to do. Um, this made me think of our, our hero, Chris Gethard's book, lose well, right. That failure is part of becoming who you're going to become. Um, I, I do feel, I felt weird at one thing Aang said, which is when he mm-hmm. says, um, your moment of truth isn't going to be in front of some map. It's going to be out there on the battlefield. And I feel like we've come such a long way with Sokka and his identity and what makes him who he is that it seems a little like reductive to be like, Oh yeah. Ultimately your test is on the battlefield. It's like, well, is it like, I don't, I don't know that that's the best of soccer, but maybe, I mean, but I mean, that's maybe the show being what the show is, you know, like this is a story where we where we need to see, maybe we need to see that kind of heroism out of soccer. Yeah. Um, and it is a part of, of how he identifies himself, but part of what we've spent the last 30 episodes doing is tearing down the necessity of that identity for him. So. Yes. I hadn't thought about that. Like, um, right. Because in, in that way, it's almost just another version of leadership that, uh, is very specific and, um, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about how, how problematic that could be if you, if you think about it. But if you want, if you want a way out of feeling bad about that, Aang is 12 years old. <laughs> he's an old yes. soul, but he's 12 years old because, because I would say if I was standing there with them, I would say the truth is guys, there isn't a, my moment of truth. Mm. Like life is longer than that. And your life mm. will be filled with 
moments of truth. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, you know, so yes, will you have a moment of truth on the battlefield? Sure, maybe. But that's not the that won't be the even if you succeed in that moment, that's not the end. Right. You know, life is about these continue. So but when you're twelve years old, maybe you've you don't have that kind of perspective on things. So if you want to feel better about Aang, maybe that's part of it. Absolutely. It's like um this comes up a little bit I think in the second part, so I don't wanna I don't wanna get ahead of us ourselves, but to be like this is just a day. This is just one day. Mm-hmm. And uh this is not what makes Aang a successful avatar. It's not what makes Sokka a successful, like, military leader, right? Like, um, yeah, it's much longer than that. They're 12. They're 15. <laughs> they have their right. own lives. Right. Um, so from here, we see the ship set sail for the Fire Nation capital. <clears throat> In the distance, through a telescope, we see the gates of Azulon, this colossal statue of uh, Fire Lord Azulon, um, kind of like the Colossus at Rhodes, um, you know, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this like massive, massive statue, um, which made me wonder, what are the seven wonders of the Avatar world? And it, I did do a little Google searching and people have done this. They've sort of broke. There's like competing views of what the seven wonders of the Avatar world are. Um, but the gates of Azulon are are often on there. The walls of Bossing say um, ah. are among them. Um, I'm I'm blanking on some of the other things. Some might be things we haven't seen yet. But um, but it's it's interesting to to think about like like what are the things, kind of like what are the things that that would be astounding to see. Oh, the cave of two lovers was another one of the yeah. the, the the wonders. Like like what are the things if you were vacationing to the avatar world like what are the things that you'd be like i have to see that yeah you know? wonder if the so. library is one of them you know it wasn't that but that would mystical. be on, that would be on mine though yeah right? yeah but it's a real it's also a real space you yeah. know and 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 you know and honestly if we think about the the ancient world this was not one of them but like the library of alexandria is one of those things that you know competes for that mm. you know so, so I think, yeah, I, it, it's fascinating to think about. You know, maybe that's uh, fodder for a future episode. Yeah, I want to go look this up now. So, um, so they see the gates of Azulon, and Hakoda <clears throat> tells Katara uh, and the Swamp Enders to create fog cover for them as they approach the gates. Um, and as they approach the gates, we hear an alarm ring, and this like net of fire rises up to block their path through the gates. So this is the first tip off that uh, this surprise invasion may, may not be as much of a surprise as they think. Mm. Um, so we see a bunch of fire nation, like the, the sort of little double jet ski boats that we saw in the painted lady episode, they raced out to confront the ships um, and Hakoda orders everyone below deck, which was like real strange. Uh, mm. And he turns to Sokka and says, let's hope your invention works. And this is a callback to th- earlier in the episode when um, when he asks the mechanist, like, were you able to, to build my invention? So now we're getting another hint at, okay, well, what is Sokka's invention? Because it's almost like they're retreating when the first time they face any um, any roadblock. So they, uh, they go. They all go below deck, 
Um, and the Fire Nation soldiers board the ships and they go down below deck and they, they're empty. There's nobody there. There's nobody on, on deck. There's nobody below deck. So we cut to underwater and we see underneath these, the, the five ships, we see five fish-like submarines diving away from the boats and under the sort of firewall at the gates of Azulon. And the ta- the tails of these submarines, they, the subs kind of look like fish and the tails even kind of move like fish. Uh, and we see with these five ships, we see Appa surrounded by a bubble of air swimming with them. So we see we have these five subs and Appa swimming under the water underneath the gates. It's funny that you mentioned D-Day earlier too, because the technology in this is like, it reminds me of like a World War One, World War II type technology. I mean, we got submarines um, uh, and like naval power with submarines. We're going to get tanks later. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and even more. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, in the invasion, we get even more of, of that sense of like this escalation of technology. Yes. And, uh, and then even like, uh, during, I think it was during the attack on Normandy, there was um, general general Patton had like a fake, fake invasion, right? Like he had a fake mm-hmm. invasion plan. And like very similar to this, like, oh, yeah, everyone's on board the ship, but the Fire Nation can't find them. Like, they faked them out. I love, I don't know, I love all the little elements that, like, if I was a bigger, uh, like, military history nerd, I, I bet I could find so much more in there. Well, and what's interesting is clearly this was part of the plan the whole time. Mm. Um, so what I love about the storytelling here is we get the big Hakoda speech where he lays out the plan but they hold a little bit back from us. Like, I wonder how many people on those ships knew this part of the plan. Yeah. You know, yes. uh, when he says go below deck, if they, if they all understand like how secret is this part of it? Um, But clearly this was part of the plan all along. They were never going to go to the sail up to the Harbor you know, in uh, in the the wooden ships, this was always going to be there because we'll see that the tanks and all those the, all the landing craft are in the subs, not in the ships. Mm. So on the deck of the lead sub, we see Sokka, Hakoda, Bato, Pipsqueak, and Teo's father. <clears throat> and Hakoda says, "You've really outdone yourself this time, son." Toph, we see Toph appearing to be sick, saying, "Yeah, congratulations, Sokka." you managed to invent a worse way to travel than flying. And we see her looking like she's going to get sick. And the Duke offers his helmet for her to throw up in, in which she then vomits into the helmet. So it's, it's kind of a funny joke where he's like, yeah, in case you need to throw up, here you go. And then we get the secondary joke of her actually doing it. (laughs) And there's a third joke coming there. Um, So Sokka says, well, I just came up with the idea. The mechanist did all the work. And the mechanist says, but don't sell yourself short, my boy. It was your idea to use water bending to make the subs sink and float. And then we see uh, Katara and uh, Hugh directing one of the subs with, um, with bending. And he says it was brilliant. Um, now, I loved this explanation because it's like, wait a minute. We're in this world where like almost, almost nobody has technology. And then like this one guy is inventing tanks and <laughs> aircraft and subs, but it's like, Oh, but if the sub works on the idea of water bending, then it's actually not, it's basically like 
it doesn't need to be as complex of a machine as we thought. Yeah, for sure. And as he points out, the brilliance is in saying, what if we use this power that already exists in the people to kind of make this, uh, make this thing move and operate? Um, he says, though our your original designs were a bit difficult to decipher, and he unrolls a scroll with a very childlike or Sokka-like drawing of a fish-shaped sub, and it has kind of like stick figures inside of it. It looks like a kid's drawing of Jonah eating, or Jonah being eaten by the whale. Exactly. It's, it's so bad. Um, so he continues to say, unfortunately, there's one problem I couldn't fix. The subs have a limited air supply. Before we land on the beaches, we need to resurface. Which was really interesting. Like, um, it, it doesn't end up being a plot point. I was actually really happy we don't have the moment of like we're underwater in the subs and we're almost out of air. It sounds like that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. But that's it's actually put in there just because we need to have this moment where they surface to have this other moment. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, like it's 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 this little unnecessary detail that I kind of like. At the same time, I was so annoyed because I was like, "Cool, thanks, the mechanist." Like, I'm glad you told them as they're all under the water in the submarines. Like, I know that they're revealing things bit by bit for the audience, which I appreciate, but <laughs> it came across as like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> although, told people. Although, not only does it work to like reveal these things to the audience but it's also on brand for the mechanist this seems like the kind of thing that he'd be like oh yeah by the way we're we're, if we stay down here we're gonna suffocate like that is actually that's those seeds have been planted that's true that's true he is so spacey that it's like okay yeah this huge logistical potential problem (laughs) forgot to mention it yeah. So we cut back to Iroh's cell and uh, Ming, the 23-time Grand Slam champion, uh, comes in to deliver lunch. Uh, and she I noticed she called him General Iroh. Mm. You know, so she is conveying the uh, respect of his position. Um, oh, I, I love that. That's like a little... I, I like that. That's a little deviant. Yeah, because right? everybody else is referring to him like an animal, you know, I, like this less than human thing. And she's like showing him honor. Yeah, that's like a defiance, like a minor protest, I feel. Mm-hmm. So she uh, whispers that she brought him an extra bowl of rice. And Iroh says, thank you, Ming. Your little gestures of kindness have made my days in prison bearable. I think you should make the rest. You should take the rest of the day off. You don't look well. Maybe you should go home and rest. And Ming says, no, I feel fine. Iroh says, trust me, it's better that you're not here this afternoon. And she she kind of takes that in and, and walks away. So what I love is, um, and we're making too much of this, but I love that we've been speculating this whole season about, like, how's Iroh going to get out of prison? Who's going to help him? And if you had had me list a thousand ways he was going to get out of prison the help of serena williams was not on that list i I, like i would have never come up with she might not even be the first tennis player i would have thought of right it's so good (laughs) it's awesome like and i love that they gave her a speaking part and they gave her like a significant like it's it's like it's an important person Yes. And it's, I mean, not only for like building him up when everyone is tearing him down, but it's also very redemptive for the Fire Nation to have Mm -hmm. a person who like 
I mean, she's a guard, but like she's not high up. It doesn't seem like she seems kind of like an average individual. So to have like an average citizen show such defiance against the Fire Nation or like at least Fire Lord Ozai, I don't know. I, I they wrote her a super dope character. Yeah, and and when you say build him up, and it is both like psychologically build him up, but she is literally physically building him up. She's bringing him extra food, which mm. we know underneath that cloak that Iroh looks like He Man, right? Like, <laughs> and it's because I mean that's both exercise and nutrition. So yeah. she she is, and uh, I'm presuming this is not just starting now. She is providing these things. It also. There's been a few moments where it's like, how is Iroh get? How does he get certain things? Like, how did he get in the prison cell? He had that crown piece or the letter that gets mm. sent, right? Well, how does he do that? It's like, well, they don't tell us explicitly here, but Iroh has an ally in that prison. And I like to think it was Serena Williams. That's right. <laughs> um, so we go back to the subs, and uh, they now have resurfaced to get air. Uh, we see the Duke washing out his helmet, which is the third part of that joke, which I love. <laughs> washing the vomit out of the helmet. Um, so subtle. Yes. <laughs> we see the boulder and hippo stretching. Um, and then the Ang gang sort of meet up on top of one of the surface subs. And this is why they did the resurface thing, because then we could create this moment. Mm. Um, Sokka asks him, are you ready for the Fire Nation to know that the Avatar is alive? And Ang says, I'm ready. And they all embrace in this kind of group hug. And Toph says, I hope you kick some serious Fire Lord butt twinkle toes. So it's this moment of like as a team, because they're all kind of in different places when they're on the subs. So this gets them back together and it creates the possibility that this is the end. You know, that there's the real sense that this might be the last time they're all together because they're going to war right now. And, And, you know, when you go off to war, you work under the assumption that maybe not everybody's coming back. Yeah. or Yeah. And with like, not to belabor the Christ-like stuff, but it, it feels like a final supper, like a, oh, sure. having our moment before one of us, especially will likely not come back or, uh, you know, might, might not. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then Hakoda gets everyone's attention and says, the next time we, we resurface, it'll be on the beaches. And I think even they keep using the word beaches, even though it's not a beach at all. But I think that is a Normandy reference. I, you know, mm-hmm. that, that it's like they, they want to keep planting that seed in our head. Um, so stay alert and be smart. Now break time's over, go back to the subs. And everybody does. But we see Aang and Katara, they hang back as everyone else is, is, is going inside. Uh, and they both kind of struggle to speak. Katara says, we've been through so many things together and I've seen you grow up so much. You're not that goofy little kid I found in the iceberg anymore. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm really proud of you. Um, so she's even referencing, like we were talking about kind of the physical change and she's, she's referencing that. Mm. And Ang says, everything is going to be different after today, isn't it? What if I don't come back? Katara says, Aang, don't say that. Of course you'll... And he cuts her off uh, by kissing her, for real. So we saw in the last episode this kind of dream version of this moment, but this is real now. Um, and Katara blushes, and Aang flies, flies off on his glider. And after a moment's pause to contemplate, Katara jumps on Appa, bends water around the air around his face so they can submerge along with the other subs. Mm. Um 
they I was reading some <laughs> Reddit posts and it seems like fans I mean, obviously that you there's a ton of different shippers, right? Like mm-hmm. Peru and Katara. And there were people who were like, Oh yes, this two parter has such tough Sokka energy. Like there those two are gonna be together. You know, like there's literally any kind of relationship people have thought mm-hmm. about, right? But um some people thought that this scene played off like Katara didn't want to be kissed or that she felt uncomfortable with it. Um, some people were like, I think that they were trying to hit like a 50, 50, like, uh, like it's shocking. It's surprising, but not necessarily bad. Um, oh, I see. Like, How do you read it? I, I kind of read it like surprised and maybe uncertain. I, I thought maybe there was some uncertainty, but she blushed and, I mean, clearly they're like incredibly close. Yeah. I would want to go back and I feel weird saying I want to go back and watch that again, but, <laughs> but it, it, my read this morning when I rewatched this was that, I mean, it's, it's unclear whether it is Aang kissing her or the two of them kissing like right. that's, I felt like it was the two of them because it was longer. It was, right. it was more, it was more sustained than just one person kissing another person. Right, and in, even oh. in like dream, uh, Aang's dream version of it, she pulls away and she's like, "What are we doing?" But this, it there was no pull away. It, yeah, I I don't know. Um, I also liked people were noting like there's not a ton of Aang Katara romantic scenes that you get like, and when you do, it's really really brief. So they mm-hmm. have to play so much into how they're animating the faces to convey like, is she is she okay with this? Is she not? Is like, did it go over? Well, are they a couple? Are they not? So, um, I think it's meant to kind of leave you uncertain, right? Like I yeah. think as an audience, we're meant to be like, well, there, there was the moment so many people were waiting for, but is it, is it going to pan out for them? Right. I just, uh, and I think that's definitely conveyed. I just don't, I don't feel like it's a, this is something she absolutely didn't want to have happen. Sure. I, it, yes. I don't think that it was, I didn't read it that way, at least, you know, I'm also not Katara and, you know, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to ask her (laughs) or Serena Williams. When she comes on, she, I want to know, are you an Ang Katara shipper, Serena? Same. All right. So back at the palace, we see Zuko staring at a portrait of May and himself. Um, And he puts the letter that he wrote on the foot of a bed. And I'm wondering, is this May's bed? I don't, we don't know what this letter is. Is this a letter for May or is this his own bed and he's leaving this note behind? Mm. It's unclear. Mm. Uh, and he says I'm he says to the picture, I'm sorry, May, as he walks out. That's why I wasn't sure, like, is this... Because, I mean, he's the prince. He could have access to probably anything. Is he, like, leaving this for her to s- explain what he's about to do? Right. And it seems like if he was going to leave that in his own room, that wouldn't be a safe place. Yeah. You know, like, I, I just think that he's probably monitored and like Azula's around and you, you never know, like, who's going to get a hold of these things. Plus, oddly, we've seen his room and it looks bigger than this. Yeah. Because here, like the foot of the bed and the wall is like pretty close. And I feel like like he's he's the uh, the royal bedrooms seem to be way more spacious. So at least it's yeah. a lot smaller than his childhood bedroom. And I mean, we know that May lives literally across the street, so it's not yeah. out of the question for him to like go over. Although 
I mean, yeah, I guess on this big invasion day, like he's probably not just out and about. Um, right. But yeah, it's it's interesting. But he's putting was, his affairs in order, and it would make sense to to do this. Plus, yeah. who is more likely to have a fairly big portrait of the two of them together hung, Zuko or May? Neither of them seem exactly <laughs> like that would be their thing. But yeah, true. It seems like something that like Ty Lee would be like, yeah, you need to do this. <laughs> like, yeah, put it up yeah. in their places for them. Um, I also like the whole. There is a lot of mirroring in this episode of Aang and Zuko, and I like that they they had the back to back getting like getting ready to say goodbye to mm-hmm. the people that you care about. Um, when we were watching it, uh, Mike, my husband said <laughs> he was like, "That's really rough. That's like a text message breakup." <laughs> like, yeah, here's the yeah. scroll. I'm leaving it for you. Who knows when you'll see it? Um, but it's not but like yeah. a breakup, as I mean, because it's not like it's not you, it's me. It's you know, he's, I presume he's more explaining what he has to do. He's also been gone for years and years before. So it's, it may not be the end. Right, right, right. Um, so from here, we cut to Aang flying to the battle. Uh, and we hear this weird growling sound. And then we see Aang twist the glider handle and the s- snacks, which look like some kind of like lychee nut like they had before. Um fly out into his mouth and he says what do you know it did come in handy so i I, i'm wondering is that the is that the end of the payoff for the snack compartment or is there gonna is it gonna be other things i did notice that the snacks ang had were different than the snacks that the mechanist had when he twisted it so i wonder did ang reload this with something he liked more yeah right or i could see like katara or Sokka doing that on the sly like oh sure stocking him in a little way right like yeah i like that (laughs) It's so cute. And I love that that's that's all we get that scene. Yep, <laughs> like, that, that entire scene is for that. Uh, so we see a periscope rise up out of the water. And then through the scope, we see that they are approaching the fire capital coast. Dakota says, everyone in position, earthbenders, into your tanks. This is going to be a rough ride. And we hear an alarm sound as they approach the harbor landing point. And grappling hooks uh, on chains are fired down at the subs and at Appa. One pierces one of the subs and water starts to rush in and the, uh, the swamp bender freezes, uh, bends the water and freezes it to plug the hole. And then we see Katara on Appa come up and slice through the chains. That's pulling that sub up. Um, and Hakoda calls out for the troops to ready the torpedoes. I, I really liked this little thing because it, um, it explained how the how they can fire torp like they don't have, you know, mechanisms to fire torpedoes. So explain how they did it with without using any words. Mm-hmm. So that what they do is they place a torpedo that's encased in ice into the firing tube, and then Hugh, the the swamp waterbender, water bends the ice around the torpedoes to fire them. At the under at the underwater gate, so because then there's water around the torpedo, so he can bend that and fire that. So that was uh, there was it was a nice like solution to like well, how do they all of a sudden have torpedo technology? Well, they use the water bending, mm-hmm. um, and with a big explosion, the gates uh, the gates are blown open and the subs sail through um, for the beachhead of the city, and we see the troops on board lined up ready to attack and waiting. And this is the most D-Day version of it. If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan or other images, Mm -hmm. even like photographs from D-Day, it's these landing crafts and it's like 
all these, these soldiers kind of lined up and they can't see what they're going to see when it opens up. So these folks are all in the sub. And obviously since it's a sub, they, it's not like they're looking out at what they're going to run into. And you just assume at some point this door is going to open and they are going to rush into battle. So it has a lot of D-Day vibes to it. And it's yeah. Claustrophobic, like contained within this small space. And I also liked that the shot was of Sokka and he's like taking a deep breath and Sokka is so young, but like also not that far away from the age of people who are fighting at D-Day too. Mm -hmm. So I think it was important that they showed the youth. Well, and I, I think if this is the shot, uh, the shot that I'm thinking about, I think they shoot, um, Sokka from above, so he looks smaller. Mm. Or maybe that's a different. There's this, definitely a scene here where you see him in his helmet, so he looks a little different. And it, it's if there was a camera, it's coming from above, which sort of diminishes his height and his mm. size. And it looks, it actually looks like a child going off to war, which it is. Yeah, yeah. Whenever they have him and Katara next to Hakoda, it's like, oh my gosh, there's like two feet of difference in there, right? Height. And and then when Bato's in there, because you realize Bato's like six six, like Bato right. is really really tall, so. Um, so the fire army starts to shoot missiles at the subs uh, as they start to surface. The subs hit the beach, open up, and we see the Earth Kingdom tanks roll out and the Water Tribe soldiers run out into battle screaming. Uh, the Fire Nation continues to shoot at the tanks and the soldiers as they move towards the tower. Uh, the tanks are moved by earthbending with almost like a skateboard kick motion. I think it's the same thing that... Um, the trains in the in Bossing Se use like it had earthbenders on the back who would kind of like kick and it would make the trains go. So it's the same idea. Um, and behind them, they drop boulders um, for benders like Toph, the hippo, and the boulder to fire at the Fire Nation soldiers and strongholds. So like they're they're dropping ammunition for the earthbenders to use. Mm. Um, we see the gates. Uh, we see gates open and Fire Nation tanks roll out. Now these are Fire Nation tanks, which were des- designed by the Mechanist, um, mm-hmm. and the Fire tanks are much smaller than the Earth tanks. The Earth tanks are—they're like they look like long segmented caterpillars, like they kind of can scrunch up the way a caterpillar can. And this, so because of that, they can rear up and they can kind of climb over things. They're really, I don't know if the mechanist designed these or if this is an Earth Kingdom type thing, but it's they're really well designed crafts. They are. <laughs> when they climb up over the the Fire Nation tanks and like crush them, it is a little derpy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like I I don't know why I like laugh out loud when that scene comes. It just. It hits me funny for some reason, but um, they are really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, we see them kind of rear up and crush the tanks, as you said. Uh, the swamp enders use water from large vessels carried by the earth tanks to um, bend and attack the Fire Nation. We see Tho and Do mention that they're a man down. Um, and uh, one of them asks where Hugh is, and suddenly out of the water rises this huge seaweed creature. Uh, and we realize that it's seaweed being water bent by Hugh, the same, the same thing we saw him doing in the swamp. 
so that the 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 seaweed creature starts sweeping through the battlefield and it looks just like the ents in lord of the rings like there it's this i mean it, for one thing it looks like one of them and it's just so much larger than everything else and it, it is almost like this big kind of sweeping notion of just like sweeping tanks and soldiers off the battlefield yes and like it looks like um a thing of nature but it's sentient yeah i could totally mm-hmm. see the ants uh and do asks hugh uh where have you been and hugh pops his head out of the seaweed creature and says communing with nature it takes a while to collect this much seaweed all i ever want in life is when people are like hey where have you been or what you up to i want to respond with communing with nature excellent that's a nice one. Uh, so we see a group of fire rhino troops confronting uh, the water tribe warriors that include Sokka. Sokka rushes a rhino and uses his sword to dismount the rider and take them out for himself. And he watches his father take on four or five fire soldiers and then rides to pick him up. So we see that the invasion force is starting to take on damage from a collection of sort of gun nest battlements that are up high. And Hakoda tells Sokka that they have to take them out. But then Sokka says he has an idea. This is another D-Day thing. I mean, one of the big things in the D-Day invasion is they hit the beaches, but then quickly from the beaches that you go up to, it goes up to this ridge. And on the ridge were um, machine gun nests. Mm. So one of the things after the forces land is they need they had some people who had to go in and take out the machine gun nests because there's no way they could progress until they did that. So this seems like an homage to that. So we have Sokka, Katara, Hakoda, and Appa um, all working to do that important task. And then we cut to, I think, one of the coolest scenes Sokka's ever had. Like, I, I His plan is amazing. So, um, so Sokka, Katara, and Hakoda are flying on Appa to take out the battlements. Um, and we see them using various uh, methods to take them out. So um, Sokka uses his sword for one. He throws explosives into the little like um, bunkers where these battlements are for a couple. Katara waterbends. So she does like the, the water arm things. Um, and uses that to take out a few. Then they land on the ridge where the last two battlements are. Uh, Hakoda tells them to take out one while he takes out the other. And he concludes with the, with the line, watch each other's backs. Um, which is interesting that they, that there's this moment where he stops to say this. And all I can think of is there's three of them and there's two battlements. So he's telling them watch out for each other. And then he goes off, without somebody to watch out for him. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's, it feels ominous when he says that, or at least it did to me. Um, and Katara and Sokka quickly dispense with their gun nest. Um, and then they watch Hakoda from a distance work on his, and he climbs onto the roof. He sneaks in through the window and we hear a fight and there's an explosion. And Hakoda walks out of the smoking battlement wounded and collapses as they rush to him. So, I mean, I think there's this sense that, like, they brought one person fewer than they should have, or they should have worked together on each one of them instead of Hakoda just sort of taking it on by himself. Right. Yes. I wonder if there's a little bit of hubris from Hakoda. But um, it also reminded me when I was watching it, like, this is actually high stakes, like, we don't know who lives and dies in yeah. this series. And it 
I'm glad that they address that by like having real, real stakes in it. saying like, yeah, people can get injured and potentially Mm -hmm. not last through the battle. And we've seen people die already in this show. Mm. Um, We've seen named characters die. Yeah. We've, um, we know that there's only 10 episodes left. We know that the sequel to this happens generation a generation at least later so i mean i presume ang has plot armor because it would be weird for ang to die here um i presume katara does because it sure seems like it's her story i presume Sokka does but like if they were really bold he wouldn't have to and it seems like almost uh toff probably too but almost everybody else is on the table because like if you found out that though or do died would you be like oh no there's no way that it's like no like that actually would be fascinating right if you mm-hmm. found out that Bado or Hakoda I mean Hakoda seems like the most likely to die because it would be this deeply meaningful thing I mean Bado would be weird because it's like our dad's friend died you know <laughs> but like if if their dad died and I mean Hakoda's not an essential character to the story that if you lost him, how could you go forward? So like, yeah, I mean, I was prepared for him not to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from here, we cut back to Zuko and now he's looking at a picture of his mother. And Zuko says, I know I've made some bad choices, but today I'm going to set things right. And we see him pick up his dual swords and like a brown backpack and he puts them on puts up his hood and walks out. So he's definitely going somewhere with a purpose. Couple things here. So this scene, when he walks out of the room, it's very reminiscent of when his mother walks out of the room, uh, when she's about to go do that thing that we never know about. Like the shot is very similar when she walks out of Zuko's bedroom. Um, and then also, I love like the the little c- subtle costume things again. Like we, I haven't seen Zuko with the the dual swords in a while, right? Like right. I didn't go back and check which episode it was, um, but I wonder if it's around the same time that Aang lost or had to destroy his glider, and like this whole season, this whole first ten episodes, it's like neither of these characters have really had like the tools that define them and mm-hmm. also their hairstyles have changed drastically. Uh, Aang shaves his head. Uh, Zuko's taking down like the Royal top bun that he had cut off in season two and grown back. And it's like, these are very symbolic, important things about changing your identity um, that they're in control of like your hair, your tools, your outfits, like that's all conscious decisions moving you towards in a new direction. Absolutely. And, and, and I think whenever we see uh, Zuko with the dual swords, you know, we know, we know who that is. We know Mm. who that identity is. I think the last time we saw the dual swords, honestly, was Lake Lao guy. Yeah. Cause that's when he throws the the blue spirit mask away. Yes. And this time he wields it without the blue spirit mask. Yep. Yeah, so it is sort of taking on that identity uh, in a different kind of way. Um, I also just love the actually seeing um, Zuko's mother's, even just her portrait, because there is this this reminder that there is more to tell there, that this was one that we always felt like we haven't heard this whole story. So I, 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 I love the reminder that 
maybe we'll get this. Maybe we'll get more about this. Um, so then uh, we cut to seeing Appa flying and landing, and he's carrying Sokka, Katara, and Hakoda. So Sokka lies Hakoda down, and Katara starts using her water-bending powers to try to heal him. Um, Hakoda says, I need to get back to the troops. And Katara says, you're hurt badly. You can't fight anymore. Hakoda says, everyone's counting on me to lead this mission, Katara. I won't let them down. And he tries to get up, but the pain is too much. And Sokka says, can't you heal him any faster? And Katara says, I'm doing everything that I can. And then we see Sokka look back towards the battle, and he says, I'll do it. And Katara has this moment that we also have, which is like, Sokka, you can't heal people. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that is exactly what I thought. And there was this moment where I'm like, has Sokka been holding out like waterbending powers that we didn't know about? Um, but that's just because I'm an idiot because Sokka says, no, I'll lead the invasion force. Maybe I'm a little crazy, but the eclipse is about to start and we need to be up that volcano by the time it does. And Hakoda says, you can do this. I'm proud of you, son. And I just thought to myself, man, those are the words that Zuko's never heard his father say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even when the story was that he had killed the Avatar, it was still not that. Yeah. No love, no trust. Like, Hakoda is trusting this entire thing with his son. Um, so not even just to be proud, but like to be proud in an active way and say like, yes, uh, you got this. I'm going to step aside and let it be your day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if we're if we're thinking about mirrorings, you know, this is a there's a Sokka, Zuko, Hakoda, Fire Lord mirroring mm. um, beginning to happen here, and this will play out a bit more as we go into the second episode uh, of this of this pairing. Uh, Katara says, "I still think you're crazy, but I'm proud of you too." And he climbs on Appa to fly back to the battle. And there's just something great about Sokka flying Appa like alone, just like the two of them. This is not a combo. We see all that often. Yeah. Um, It is. It is also funny because when he gets onto him, did you notice that he, to get Appa to go, he says, yip, yip, which we haven't heard in a while. We see Appa fly all the time now and they've kind of given up on the, like, you need to say yip, yip to get him to fly. Oh, but Sokka does it this time. Yeah. That's so great. And also, yeah, like Sokka and the animals. That story arc is amazing. Like mm-hmm. to be like, I hate them. <laughs> to like taking care of them and doing kind of like the tasks of nurturing the animals on Aang's behalf, and then to be like taking over Aang's role as somebody who, again, like even Appa trusts him. Like everyone trusts him to be the leader that he doesn't think he can be. Right, right. So from here, we see Appa and Sokka land in front of the battle. And Sokka starts to give out directions. He says, listen up, everyone. I want the tanks in a wedge formation. Warriors and benders in the middle. We're taking that tower and heading for the royal palace. They follow his direction and charge the tower. From here, we cut to the rim of the volcano. And we see Aang is looking down at... Um, the palace city. So like in the volcano, it's sort of like it is the palace as like, you could think of that whole thing as the palace, but it's, I think they refer to it as the palace city. And then at the center of it is like the palace palace, 
right? But this is like, this is seems different than the capital, sort of like in Bossing, say, where you have that inner ring where the 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 palace is and then that it, even in the palace it is a compound of things i think that this is one of the coolest shots uh in this episode if not in book three is like him looking over at the expanse of the city uh and like it's his moment it is the first time he's seen this right we've been talking about this for this long it is sort of like when they first go to ba Sing Se and you're like i've been waiting for this um, and but for Aang, that's what this is for him. Um, so he flies down to the roof of one of the buildings, and everything seems strangely deserted. He walks right up to the center of the palace and bursts through the doors, just like in the dreams, right? He has those dreams of bursting in and making this announcement. So he he bursts in and he announces the avatar is back, but he's shocked to find that even the interior of the palace is empty. Now, remember, Hakoda said this was going to be loaded with firebenders. You know, this is why they need the eclipse. So he's there and the entire city is empty. I love this, too, because I don't know if you remember back from the library. And I held my tongue because at that time when we were recording this episode, I remembered what happens here. Uh, but I didn't want to give it away. But Sokka's joking around. They're, they're lost in the desert and they're like, um, or not lost yet, right? They still have Appa, but they're coming to this library. Sokka's like, we don't have a plan to take over the Fire Lord and to like render him useless, right? So he was like, and this is a quote from the library. He says, even if you do master all the elements, then what? It's not like we have a map of the Fire Nation. Should we just head west until we reach the Fire Lord's house? Knock, knock. Hello, Fire Lord. Anybody home? I don't think so. We need some intelligence if we're going to win this war. And it was like this fun little joke prediction that like absolutely came 100% true. Like Aang very well could have just knocked on each of those doors and been like, hey, right here? Um, oh, that's so fascinating. Right. It's funny that like this joke was actually like maybe that was where Sokka's plan was born, like born out of this like joke idea. And he was like, wait, there's some merit here. <laughs> So from there, we cut back to the battlefield and we see that the wedge of tanks is rolling up on the tower with little resistance from the Fire Nation soldiers. Um, and as they blow open the gates of the tower, they see the fire soldiers falling back and retreating. And Bato announces to Sokka, we're on our way to victory. And here we see Sokka start to look up at the volcano because that's the next step for them. Um, we cut back to Aang in the palace and Aang airbends his way into the throne room and finds that it's also empty. And we see Aang distraught calling out for Fire Lord Ozai, you know, where are you? And the episode ends as his voice echoes through this vast empty hall. Mm. And this is where, as I said before, I wonder, will the rest of the series be just one long episode? Because this is, we know this is a two-part episode, but like, this is not a resolution ending. This is a, such a great to be continued ending. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see going forward how often they feel perfect, perfectly comfortable to just be like, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger instead of leave you on a resolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thoughts on this episode, things that are pointing us to, so the, the, you know, the, we haven't hit the, the actual day of black sun, uh, eclipse moment. We're just on the verge of that. Um, but this is not what we saw coming. 
No. And we get we get at this point that Zuko is also heading on this mission um, and fulfilling his destiny however he decides what that is. Uh, but we don't really know what his decision is yet. So there's like mm-hmm. all these parts that are just hanging there. Obviously, like the second episode is going to answer that. Uh, a couple things... We get so many characters, so much continuity in this episode. Were you surprised by the crew that they had? Uh, is there anyone you feel is missing that's crucial? And was there anyone where you were like, I could have done without? Or like, <laughs> uh, you was a pleasant surprise? I think um, this was the B-Squad of yeah. people. And I think I think you know as we think about it that makes sense because we know this is episode 10. And so we know yes they and we knew they they were going to be collecting allies. So it's like, well what allies do you collect? So like I said, I liked I love the boulder, but boulder and hippo not hugely influential characters. Excited to see Haru and and Tyro um Swamp Benders uh, I don't really need more of them. Like I'm good. Although I really do love um, the sort of uh, ent presence of Hugh. I really do like that because that is like this whole other thing, you know, mm-hmm. that, that uh, creates this kind of possibility. Plus there's an interesting interconnected stone or spirituality to Hugh that I like the other swamp yes. enders I can do without. Um, I was excited to see Teo and his father, um, but those, if, if, if I was making a list of the people I'm most excited to see, Haru and Teo, like those people I would have had on that list. But, I mean, the people that were missing, right? We don't have the warriors of Kiyoshi. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have... Um, uh, so we don't have Suki. We don't have uh, Master Paku. And mm-hmm. the... Like, like, I presume... And so what we're really saying is in the big battle probably around episode 18, 19, 20, who are the people that are going to come back for that? So I would say Paku, the Kyoshi warriors. Um, My man, Boomy. Right. I'm, 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 I'm building up to people like <laughs> Boomy who has to have a presence here. Zhang Zhang maybe. Oh yeah. You know, like, like, will we see like renegade fire nation people? Um, I'm trying to think of other major characters uh, that that we that seem very powerful that we haven't seen yet. There are a couple characters that I think would have this sounds mean, but would have fit well in the B squad, uh, but we're missing. And that was we get the we get Pipsqueak and the Duke, but we don't get the rest of the like lost oh, boys. Yeah, I actually I actually think Smellerby and Longshot are they're they're A squad characters. I forgot to name ah. them. Yeah, I think because because we've had more history with them, they seem like deeper characters. So I do think they'll come back. There's an outside chance, depending on what kind of show this is, that Jet made it. Mm-hmm. Jet would be an A squad character if. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he also may not be alive. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any who are other who are other people. Oh, um, uh, I would one character I that would have fit into this really well that I w- I want to see come back for the last one is um, 
I don't even remember what this character looks like or anything about them, but I'm so disturbed that Sneers has just disappeared. Wait. Oh, you're right. Oh my gosh. So we, we know where the Duke and Pip's week are. We know where Smellerby and Longshot are. We know where Duke is, or we know where Jet is, but Sneers gets introduced and we never see him again. Yeah. Like has a name. Yeah. Like, has lines right or i think so presence. he's the first person who gets introduced as they go through that so so i would i'm i'm here for sneers like i i want to start the hashtag where is sneers campaign yes. for a show that ended you know 12 13 years ago but um so i would love it if they just in a minor way wrote in that sneers showed up for that would be pretty great sam i absolutely forgot who that was until you brought it up no remembrance <laughs> Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe he'll be there. I don't know. Cause I'm trying to think of other sort of the other kind of further adventure characters. Um, yeah. Like the fortune teller doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Um, she could have a presence. I actually, I'm more interested in the, um, the herbalist. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Although like, I, I don't see her as like a warrior ally, but I see some of those, I, like I see the fortune teller town as an ally. I also wonder about people like um, uh, Anji mm. and um, some of the folks from like the painted lady, like, like are there fire nation allies we're going to see in whatever the last battle stuff is because right. they have been building allies this, this year as well. Or some of the folks who they helped take down the, um, Hama, like those are allies as well. Mm. So, you know, I, I think as I'm thinking about now, some of those would be B squatty characters, but you couldn't have them in this invasion, but you could for the, for the end. So, right. You know, as I'm thinking about some of those things. Right. It's also interesting to be like, okay, so this is the crew that Sokka hand picked. Mm -hmm. And with some of those a squad folks it's like you would think Sokka would want them to join too but we know that boomy is in jail like maybe he could get out if he wanted to but like he's in jail somewhere mm -hmm. um i, I assume suki's alive but i don't know that yeah they don't know where she is um jong jong like they didn't really end on great terms i suppose Did yeah they? well it's it was it was it's hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I guess some of the, uh, yeah. It's one of those weird things where like, I, there's so many of those characters I want them to bring back, but if they brought every one of them back, it would feel weird. Like yeah. I, I, w I want some of them to be like, Oh, we never saw Zhang Zhang again. That would be really interesting yeah. too. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I, I kind of don't want everyone. Now here's a thing theory and I, I realize we started this by the danger of theories um, and it's a pretty like ineffectual character mm. but what if the um, what if the earth king who we know was just going out to kind of walk the earth and travel what if he is slowly building up a Charles de Gaulle-esque like resistance force you know, which will help with this. Uh, Cause the earth King, as much as he is who he is, like he does have, he is a significant figure to earth nation people. Yeah. Um, I also wonder about the, uh, 
the professor in the library. Because mm. we he doesn't die. He's just buried in the library. And like, um, if Wan Chi Tong doesn't kill him, the professor has time, Professor Z has time to work on Wang Chi Tong to try to convince him that actually this this library shouldn't be destroyed mm. and maybe to resurrect the library. And maybe there's a, an element there. I also wonder like, what is the role of the spirit world for the back half of this episode? So, you know, yeah. will we see in a, in interesting ways? Will we see Yue, who I feel like we've already seen her circle back probably enough, but you know, uh, Hey, bye. Um, mm-hmm. even, Dare we say, dare, dare we say the name Co? <gasps> yeah, yeah. And then there's White Lotus. That's the the other A squad is White Lotus, which might be people we don't know or people we mm. do know, but we didn't know were part of White Lotus. <coughs> oh, so I, I would think... say, go ahead. another an, Piando is another big one. Like, oh yeah, I didn't yeah. think about him at all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. I, I think the Earth King is an interesting one because I think <laughs> if he doesn't come back to help, which is very likely, right? Uh, he might just be with his bear. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of is not great. Like he need like he could be redeemed if he comes back, but we left him being kind of an idiot, right? Like he's a, uh-huh. he's a, not an effective ruler because he wasn't a ruler. He like thinks that the Kyoshi warriors are the Kyoshi warriors, doesn't realize that it's Fire Nation royalty, tells them about the eclipse and then like heads off with the yeah. bear, right? Like yeah. that's where we end with him. I so feel like, like that's going to be his arc, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like the guru is going to be involved to help unlock Aang. Mm. Um, I mean, we're not mentioning Iroh because we assume he's going to be part of this. Although we actually don't know what role he's going to play. Right. Um, the other person that's interesting because they have a name and it's such an interesting ending we have. And this is not a character that I necessarily feel like we need to have back. Mm. Because I feel like there is something poignant about the role that they play. Is someone like Song? Yeah. You know, like that is such an interesting moment in Zuko's arc. And that's an example of like, if you told me they were writing Song into the back half of the season, I would be there for it. But if you told me that we'll never see her again, I'm there for that as well. Because we, because we don't need everything to have this global importance. Um, It can, some things can just have importance for, um, for Zuko in that moment. One character that I am deeply interested in as we get to episode 20, I assume it will be episode 20. Yeah. Um, And if they want to put a beautiful button on this, and I feel like they will, this is, this is a out there big prediction because this is a, couldn't be a more minor character in some ways is hope the baby. Oh Yeah. You know, because they're so she has like this interesting arc of like being born, and we keep seeing her pop up in these different moments. So as the show ends and it projects to the future, points to the future, that would be really interesting. 
Oh, I love that. Even if she's just in the background with her parents somewhere, like it doesn't oh, have yeah. to be. Oh, yeah, it's not that it's not that she it. is a chosen one or something, but that there is yeah. just some like circled reference back. Yeah, I would love that. Is Long Fang dead? Oh, good question. I do not know. Okay. Because where did we leave him? We left him. Appa tossed him into Lake Lake Lava, okay. right? Yeah. And that's kind of where where yeah. it ended. Yeah. So like there's a I'm just thinking of like who are powerful people. Yes, and so, also despicable people. Like he's kind of the worst. But he's definitely not on the side of Azula. <laughs> so like yes. I actually feel like we won't see him again because he seems kind of like the Zhao of season two, where it's like mm. we'll just you know, well Zhao actually dies, but we'll just get rid of it. Um other uh, wow, well, I mean there's there's a lot of like other characters. Like I'm curious about um if we'll ever see um, June again. Yeah. Another character who seemed oddly interesting and powerful, but maybe doesn't have a place mm. um, in this. Um, is Combustion Man off the table now? Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. I was like, forgot the name that they had chosen for him. And I was like the fired Cyclops guy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Because we ended with him being attacked by Aang, right? And his eye would, like, mm -hmm. stopped working. Uh, and that's kind of where it ended. Yeah. So wow. maybe he's done. Like, that's what does, there's some of those things that we just don't know. Um, yeah. So there's, there's, you know, like I said, we, we started this, this episode by talking about the dangers of prediction and speculating. <laughs> but, but I think this is pretty fun to think about. Like, there is, they, they played a lot of cards in, in this episode. Um, in terms of bringing back storylines, circling them back, but they clearly have, I mean, that's a deep bench. All the people we just named where it's like, they could hook any number of these people into this bigger thing. So, mm. um, Annie, this has been really interesting to talk through. Um, and it's, it's, I feel like we, we both ended this episode in a little weird spot because it is part one of a two part episode. So it's sort of like, we're also stuck in this cliffhanger. Um, but that is all the time that we have for this week. We will be back next week with book three fire chapter 12. The day of black sun, part two, the eclipse. <laughs>